0: Give your Bibles. Turn to Psalm 52, and uh, I will uh, I will get you there. Psalm 52. Uh, our church generally goes through summer psalms every summer, and so this is where we're at in our uh, uh, liturgy or sermon series. And uh, this is what you get this morning. So congratulations. Uh, I can uh, I can remember the first time that I ever laid eyes on her ever. Piercing eyes sharp chin, unforgettable laugh. The way her stringy hair sort of fell out of her black, fashionable hat. Her manicure was on point, and her smooth, green skin shone through the red smoke from her broom. (laughs) Then those words came rolling off her lips. I'll get you my pretty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wicked witch of the West. (laughs) I've never been so scared in my whole life. I was a little kid in my parents' bed, and I watched that, and I was like, that was a brand-new kind of evil for my little innocent mind. And she's indelible there forever and ever and ever. I didn't sleep for a week. Every time I walk down the hallway, I look sideways at a broom just to see if someone's going to pop out. Didn't know what was going to happen. But I've grown up now, mostly. And uh, while the evil that is portrayed on the big screen is worse than it ever has been, for sure, uh, the evil that I know in the world, past and present, can overwhelm a person, leave someone distraught, leave someone. Hopeless because of the magnitude of the evil in the world. But there is one more degree of despair. And that is the evil in our hearts. The evil that lies within us all. Evil is not simply the villain of the movies or the atrocities of this world, but the evil that lies within our hearts. It's revealed in what we say and in what we Do. Look at Psalm 52 with me this morning. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of Of the godly. This is the word of the Lord. The evil that lies within us is overcome by the God outside us, by the goodness of the name that's outside of us. So I want to look at three things this morning. The first being just the loves of the evil man. Now, we know from the title specifically who this evil man is. He is Doeg the Edomite, and I feel like I need to give you the quick backstory so you understand what's going on in Psalm 52 as David writes. Right, so David he flees from Jerusalem because of Saul's jealousy, and finds himself in the city of Nob. And David, without soldiers or weapon, finds the chief priest Ahimelech and asks for help, uh, lying to the chief priest, saying that Saul had sent him on a secret errand, and that he was to meet his soldiers later. Ahimelech, trembling at David's presence, gave him the consecrated shewbread of the Lord and the sword of Goliath. And in the midst of this, at verse 7 of chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, you would find a verse of foreshadow where it reads, Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. So when you get to chapter 22, it takes you to Gebeah, where Saul, his military officials, and personal military guard are gathered. And Saul is full of self-pity, and he's isolated away from what's going on around him. And the Lord's Spirit obviously has left him by this time, and his son is best friends with his enemy. And David is gathering support. By the ten thousands, right? Saul's killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. And everybody's looking at David. And nobody is telling Saul what's going on. But Doeg is present. And Doeg is watching all this scene play out and shake down. And Doeg sees an opportunity to get closer to the favor of King Saul. So Doeg hears Saul say, nobody's telling you what's happening. And Doeg goes, I'll tell you what's happening, king. I'll tell you exactly. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Well, this makes Saul enraged, right? And he calls in Ahimelech to his courts to accuse him of conspiracy. But Ahimelech correctly answers Saul that no one on the planet is more loyal to Saul than David himself. right? And and that the way he helped David would be the way that he has always helped David. Saul won't have it. He won't listen to him. He's raging with anger, and he orders his guards to kill the priest Ahimelech and his family. But the guards refuse the king's orders. They're like, that's God's man, and we will definitely not be going against the Lord. So Saul turns to Doeg, the chief shepherd. And the king says to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned. And struck down the priest, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of priests, Doeg put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, sheep. He put to the sword. So reads God's word, 1 Samuel 22. The evil lies within. It's interesting to me because as I understand the background of chapter 52, Psalm 52, David's psalm, to be this event, I try to figure out why it is that the evil this psalm talks about is not murder nor genocide, but the tongue. Look at the, look at the passage with me again. Just, just look at it. Verse 2, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharp razor. Uh, verse 3, you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what's right. You love words that devour, O oh, deceitful tongue. Everything is about what Doeg has said more than about his murder. And I'm perplexed by that because why wouldn't you say, oh, oh evil man, how, how dare you slay the innocent? How dare you kill infants? No, it's about his tongue. And there's zero question that Doeg's actions are abominable. But it's not the actions that's going to lead to his justice from the Lord, it's his words. Why? Why? Why his words? Well, it's because the words come from the heart. Our our tongue reveals what's inside and what was. What was inside of Doeg was the approval of the king and place and power and prestige. That's what's inside of him. That's what leads him to to share the secrets. That's what leads him to obey Saul's orders and kill. It's true for us too. Some things don't change. Our tongues reveal our hearts. I mean, the scriptures show it to us over and over again right? People, people in the scriptures, inside and outside of, of God's people, are good at revealing the evil of their hearts. I mean, Abraham tries to pass off Sarah twice as his sister. That's a bad idea, right? Every time. Uh, Joseph's tongues plot to kill his brother, and only after some little bit of reasonableness, right? They're like, well, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him out. We'll just, we'll just give him away. They're plotting evil because they don't like him, Haman plots to kill the Jews. Pharisees plot to kill our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ananias and Sapphira literally confess that they have given all their proceeds of selling their property to the church when they have kept most of it for themselves so they have, the, so they have the, the perception that they are acting like the church, but they're not. Hmm. Why? Why would they be like this? Well, the scriptures help us understand. In fact, the book of James helps us understand, right? So also, James 3, verses 5 and 6, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How a, a great force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. A tongue, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is what our tongue is born into. It's selfish. It wants what it wants. Jesus taught us this plainly. In Matthew chapter 12, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And then he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? And Here's the phrase, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And Jesus didn't let it rest there, right? He says, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What an incredibly strong indictment from our Lord. And even when I read it, if we want to get a little theological for a second, Jesus says, you'll be justified by your words. Now, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the pack, but I'm pretty sure I'm justified by grace, right? Justified by faith through grace alone, that's what it tells me. But Jesus is saying, I'll be justified by my words. So what what gives? Well, Well, my heart is what gives. Jesus can say this thing because if my heart is changed, then my tongue will also be changed. Jesus is saying, What's coming out of your mouth will be, reveals what's going on in your heart. And you're justified by faith alone when you run headlong into the Savior who will save you and sustain you and keep you. And then all of a sudden, your language changes. Your disposition changes. What you want to say changes. Hey, students, the church, Christ's body, His people, must be known as a place where we both keep a tight rein on our tongue when it comes to gossip and lying and deceit. But we also must be known as a people who are more transparent when it comes to our own sinfulness. We have to live out both in in a difference to the world so they can see something that that is like, why would you be like that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. King Jesus has changed me. King Jesus has saved me. Have truths, they come easy. Deception, when we're trying to preserve our own hearts and uphold ourselves, sinfully it comes naturally. But when we live that way, we are literally playing with fire. And we're withholding all the Lord wants for us. It, it, it's, I'm so thankful that this school is teaching you to follow Christ and putting you in places to serve. But my, one of my prayers for you before you get out and in, in full time in the real world in that sense is that this would be a place where you can cultivate the practice of a transparent heart. A place where sin can be confessed and forgiveness can be, can be granted by God but, but revealed through your friend that just says, hey, the Lord Jesus still loves you, even in your brokenness, even in your sin. A place where you can go to your churches and you can begin to practice those things that you learned in your undergraduate and graduate work. That the mark of part of the mark of the church is to be confessional. Not only that we confess him as the only Savior and Lord, but to confess that the evil lies within me and the only hope I have is Jesus Christ. There's an evil, right? There's the actions of the sinful man, the heart of the sinful man, but there's also the judgment of the Lord. Look what happens, students. Look what happens when we don't, when we don't go to Christ, when we don't go to Him for our our salvation, for our correction, with soft hearts and and ready for His his loving rebuke. The Lord's going to break us down forever. That's what the Bible says. We, I, I, we confess an everlasting punishment that even as God who is going to give us everlasting life, His holiness, the just punishment, would be everlasting death. He's going to snatch and tear you from your tent. He's going to uproot you from the land of the living. We spend our time getting our lives squared away in this life so that everything is safe and secure and somewhat normal and okay. And then the Lord is... And when we think that's sort of the end of it, we, we become pleased with what uh, we think we are offering the Lord. But even that is a deception to ourselves to say that this life is the end. We can't deceive ourselves. The, the answer to the Lord has to be yes. Wherever he calls you, wherever he leads you, wherever you're supposed to go, whatever you're supposed to do, the answer must be yes. And to create our own small kingdoms here, the result is, the, the, the problem is that's deceitful of ourselves. And the result is he will tear you up from that. He will snatch you out of the land of the living. This world, it's not our home. And then look look again at the passage, what the righteous are going to do in the context of this judgment. The righteous are going to see and fear and laugh and bear witness to the glory of God and His justice. Now, you'll be a witness to the final judgment of God if you're in Christ Jesus. You'll see it. You'll be on the side of right. Uh, you yourself will also be judged for everything you've ever done in the body, good or bad. Make anybody sweat. Make me sweat. Make me sweat not for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's my only safety. It's the only, the only separation between myself and the world is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So when I stand before that great judgment, can, all, all of it will be laid bare. And the only hope will be that one's mine. I died for that one. Uh, you, you'll also fear, right? The righteous will fear uh, because we understand that it could be us. It won't be, we won't be cowering in terror because of the, what's the punishment coming to us, but just the acknowledgement that God has that kind of power, that kind of righteous justness to Him. And like, ooh, that could be me, but it's not. That kind of fear. It says we'll, we'll laugh. We'll laugh at what happens at the punishment of those who are deceitful, whose tongues are filled with evil. Um, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, the famous Presbyterian preacher at 10th Pres in Philadelphia, he wrote, he said, This is not mockery at another person's misfortune. Rather, it is is satisfaction at the rightness of the things when God intervenes to judge those who have done great harm to others. Uh, You got to think of it like wartime mentality, right? The the conquering of of the evil. So uh, take a passage like Colossians chapter 2 and he says uh, uh, in verses 13 through 15, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. The record of debt, he set it aside by nailing it to the cross. And here's here's the key. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The picture is that defeated foe who's brought back to the city and the, the king comes in victoriously and the army comes in victoriously and then the defeated foe comes in and everybody is rejoicing that the enemy is gone. This is what the Lord does to our sinfulness. This is what the Lord does to our record of debt. This is what the Lord does to the evil one who would lead us that way. He is publicly putting it to shame because it will be no more. We laugh. We laugh. And then we're going to witness. Because justice is part of the glory of God. And so if we are going to boast, it won't be about our righteousness, it will boast in the Lord, right? The one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. This is the Lord's judgment on sinfulness. Students, it's good to admit your sinfulness. It's good to confess the evil that lies within. It's good not only to confess the specific things that you've done today and tomorrow and the next, but it's also just good to confess the disposition of your fallen nature. And the offense that you're that 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 is against the Lord, because that puts you in the place of reception. That puts you in the place of I need a free gift that I cannot earn. And that is the gospel that Vermont needs to hear. That is the gospel that New England needs to hear, that the world needs to hear, that they're not going to earn it. They're not going to do good enough. There's not anything possible that they can actually do to get what Christ has for them. They just need to receive it. That's the response of a righteous person. Right right there, the last thing, right? the evil that lies within, the Lord's judgment, and then the response of the righteous man. I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God, verses 8 and 9. I trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. I'll thank you forever because you've done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good, and I'll wait for it in the presence of the godly. I want to go back to the story of Doeg just for a second. And if you were to, if you had 1 Samuel 22, verses 20 through 30 open, this is what you would read. It says, but one of the sons of Ahimelech, the sons of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. So he escaped Doeg's wrath, Doeg's massacre, and he goes to David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And this is what David's response to Abathar was. I knew, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons in your father's house. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life and with me you'll be in safe keeping. The proper response to the Lord's judgment on the evil in our hearts is confession. David didn't massacre the people. But even in the context of the situation, David's hearing the story and he's going, Oh, oh, I left something undone. David's bearing weight of the sin of another because Abathar lost his family. He's looking for how he can, can can help help rectify how he's looking for how he can can help um, uh, what am I, what am I looking for church what am I looking for I'm looking for how, how he can um, enter into the pain of his brother and and how he can how he's being a part of it that he's like oh I, I need to confess too I need to find all the sinfulness within me and then in that he he offers safety for Abathar. I've done wrong, you stick with me, I'll take care of you the rest of your days. You'll be safe. The righteous is hopeful, right? He's like the olive tree in the house of God, the green olive tree, because the olive tree uh, was one of the larger plants in the field, but its its leaves stayed green year-round. It this ever this everlasting quality to it. The, the righteous trust in the love of God forever, even as the punishment would be forever, so God's grace and love is forever. The righteous are grateful forever. I'll thank you forever. Do you hear the eternal quality of the psalm? All this stuff is forever. He's not living in his own tent. He's living in the, in the life to come. The righteous patiently wait for God who is good. And notice something, students. He waits in the presence of the godly. How important now does God's church become in living out our Christian faith? You don't wait for the, the healing of your souls in isolation. That's, that's, that's Saul's problem. You don't wait and hope for the Lord in, in doing your own thing. You wait for the Lord in the presence of those who are also waiting for the Lord. The joy is we're doing it together. The pain is the evil outside the world. The, the pain is the suffering inside the church. But nonetheless, we'll do it with a hopeful thing because we know that l- the Lord, the Lord is going to deliver. Right? Church, This is how. this is who we're supposed to be. And, and, and ultimately, Jesus, Jesus is the more perfect David, right? Jesus is the one who is the righteous man. Jesus doesn't go look for a secondary sin that he can confess to because he's sinless. But Jesus is the one who takes on all the sin of the world. And he says, you come with me and I'll keep you safe forever. And the evil that lies within that our tongues reveal no longer rules over us. The evil that lies within is no longer our master. We're no longer a slave to it. We're no longer bound to the punishment that it deserves. Rather, Rather, Christ takes that punishment, and Christ keeps us safe forever. And we will see his judgment. We will live hopefully now. And we will, we will laugh at the days to come. And even as we rejoice today in the presence of the godly, so we'll rejoice forever in the presence of Christ with all the godly of all places of all time. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we praise you. Lord, we, uh, we know how evil we are outside of you. But Lord, we praise you that inside, Lord Jesus, that you transform what's inside of us. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you don't leave us as we are. So Lord, help us to watch our tongues. But Lord, let it not be a moralistic endeavor. Lord, help us to to know our hearts in you and let what comes out of our mouth be a wellspring of what's taking place inside our heart as we're being renewed and transformed day by day. We love and trust you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray alone. Amen.